if you don't care how it looks, then you're in the wrong profession. You know, that's our job. Like You want to make it look the best that it can be. That's the voice of Pete DeTore, owner of DeTore Furniture. And I'm excited to talk with him right after a quick word from our sponsor. Hey everyone, what do you know about Shaper Tools? Specifically, the Shaper Origin. As a listener to this show, you can try a Shaper Origin risk-free for 30 days in your own shop. That's right, in your own shop. Just by visiting shapertools.com forward slash furniture brand to learn more. The handheld CNC router that has brought digital precision and efficiency of workflow to so many people is yours to try risk-free. Use it to tackle your joinery, your cabinetry, your hardware installations, and more with speed, precision, and the reliability your business needs. If you want to learn more or to give it a risk-free 30-day try, just visit shapertools.com forward slash furniture brand or check the link in the show notes. And now on with the episode. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Pete DeTore, owner of the Bellingham, Massachusetts furniture company, DeTore Furniture. Pete is not new to the world of furniture. He's been selling his pieces since 2007. But even though he has a long history of being in the furniture business, it's the personal side of the business that means the most to him. Over the years, Pete has grown his building skills alongside his person-to-person skills to help him stand out from the crowd. Follow along as we talk about knowing your audience, the difference in pricing between different markets, balancing business and personal time, and much more. Pete and I talk about a lot in this episode, so let's get right into it and hear about his journey in his own words. Believe it or not, I actually barely passed uh, woodshop in high school. And I can piggyback on that later. And I kind of figured out why that was the case later on in life. I had a corporate job for 21 years. I ran uh, my uncle's company. He had no children. He lived five houses down from me. So he was like a second father to me. And I went to work for him right after high school. I tried to go to college, believe it or not, on a couple of occasions. It just wasn't for me. I, I literally tried three different colleges. And I thought at first maybe it was the atmosphere, the dorm atmosphere, whatever. I just didn't like it. It wasn't for me. And my mom always told me, she's like, you know, when you were, when you were a kid, anytime anybody asked you what you wanted to do in life, uh, your answer was, I want to be my own boss, which I thought was kind of fitting. So I bought my home uh, in 2007, moved in in 2008, and it was a lot more money than I wanted to spend at the time, but I was married back then. And my wife at the time really wanted the house. And so when we got it, the, like our furniture didn't quite fit our living room. Our end tables were enormous in the new living room that we had now was more long than it was wide and it didn't quite work. And we spent so much money on the house. I didn't really have disposable income to go out and buy stuff. So I always had tools 
my, you know, my dad was really handy growing up and, you know, so I just accumulated tools to have to fix things around the house. And I was an HGTV junkie. I'm like, you know what? I watch these guys build small things all the time on TV. I'm going to give it a shot. And I decided to build two end tables. And when I made them, they came out pretty good. Like I was really, you know, happy with it. Like, you know, and if I posted a picture of it today, it doesn't look like something that was like a first time like build. I was really happy with it and they worked great. And there was one day uh, a buddy of mine said, you know, you should throw those on Craigslist. Now that's how long ago it was. It was Craigslist back then, you know, not Facebook marketplace. And he goes, you know, see if somebody will buy them. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I don't want anybody to buy them. I need them. <laughs> I made them because I need them for the house. And I don't know what made me do it, but it was a rainy day. And I just took a couple of pictures of them and I put them up on Craigslist. And it was like something stupid. I'm talking like it was like $80 per end table. You know, like, you know, I made them out of construction, you know, lumber, uh, plywood type top, you know, and I, and I trimmed around the edges to make it look clean shaker style and in 24 hours i had 48 emails for people asking me if i could make stuff it wasn't even just about buying the end tables it was like oh you made this do you think it's possible you could make this and i was like completely overwhelmed like i had no idea really how to respond because at the time i didn't know what i was doing you know, I had no building skills. Like I just made a couple of end tables. I, I didn't expect that. So I saw a little bit of potential. There were a couple emails that asked for the end tables. So I repeated the end tables a couple times and sold those. And then I felt a little bit more comfortable. So then I decided, you know what? I'll tackle the bookcase. Like I started to take the smaller items first that I was comfortable that I could at least build something that when the person got it, I didn't look like I didn't know what I was doing. You know, it was about trying to mask like the lack of skill. Some people like were sending me something like extravagant and, you know, I used like an excuse like, you know, I'm sorry, I'd love to make that. But I, at the time, I don't have the proper tooling in the shop to do that, which technically it wasn't a lie, but I just didn't want to make it seem like I didn't know what I was doing. So what I did was I took the money coming in from the small stuff and then I'd reinvest it into a few more tools. And then I decided to tackle like some medium things. And then I took that money and reinvested it. And before you know, like I've got every machine that I would need for a shop. It may not have been the top of the line machine, but it was good enough stuff. And I was building like all the time. I loved it. It was, it was great. Like I'd come home from work and I built. It was just like, it was fun. Like I couldn't believe it. And in my head, I'm thinking to myself, it's like, wow, like I'm actually like doing something on my own. Nobody's helped me. You know, this wasn't like, you know, a family job like I had before. It's like, this is something that I've kind of built from the ground up and it just kind of took off from there. So later in life, I had three major events that hit me at the same time. And without going too much into detail what they were, or why it happened. Um, I lost my relationship with my father. I lost my relationship with my uncle, whose company I ran for 21 years. And then I found out my wife was pregnant with our second kid. 
Now, all that happened literally in the span of three weeks. And I must have like kept everything in, all the feelings like, you know, just buried inside me. That's, this was around Thanksgiving time. And the following May, I went to a Red Sox game uh, with a buddy of mine. And anyone who knows me knows that like I love baseball. Uh, you know, I coach it with my kid. Um, I, I love the game. I love going to the Sox. We were sitting behind home plate at the radar gun. And I had a major panic attack, like to the point, like I was frozen. He had to help carry me out of Fenway Park in the third inning of a Red Sox team. Like, th like that's just how bad it was. And when I drove home, like I, I had both hands on the steering wheel and I was like literally like right up against it. And he kept asking if, he, you know, like telling me that he would drive, he would drive. And it's like, I didn't know what to do. It's like, I had to be doing something because I didn't know what was going on with my body. It felt so strange. And it just kind of kept happening again after that. And I got some help and I realized that I was dealing with anxiety really bad. And, uh, you know, going, you know, talking with someone and I tell you, you're never, anyone who deals with it should know that, you know, you're never man enough uh, two men enough to have to talk with someone, uh, you know, absolutely get the help that you need. And I did. And I learned, you know, that I was actually kind of dealing with it my whole life. But I'm 44 years old. And back then it wasn't really talked about. So, you know, back then it was like, oh, you know, you have like a nervous stomach, something like that. But like it wasn't. And I look back and that's why I almost failed Woodshop. It's because I was so nervous. Woodshop was a lot of upperclassmen. I feel like I was intimidated, nervous. And I was like, wow, it's like, I've been dealing with this my whole life. And I never even knew it. And woodworking became like a therapy for me. Like it was a place kind of like when I was younger growing up, because I played baseball my entire life. Year round, loved it. It was a place similar to baseball where I could be myself and that other stuff didn't matter. When I got into woodworking, it became like a therapy and like, I felt good about myself. I buried myself in it. I watched every video, read every book, magazine I could get my hand on. And I just wanted to learn. And it just felt good to kind of escape from some of the things that were making me anxious and to dive into something that relaxed me, that I felt good about. And from there on, it really took off and forced my hand full time. I just got so busy. Furniture making for a lot of people can be that therapy. It can be that that idea of of building something of through your own blood, sweat and tears. You are creating something from nothing. You're building a piece of furniture. And a lot of people love that feeling but they don't do it full time. They think that it is, it's good for them mentally, but they don't take it that next step to make a full-time job of it. But you did. Making things for yourself or for family and friends is fun. But once it gets into that next step, once it becomes that business, it's not necessarily all fun and games anymore. It is a business. It is a livelihood. It is how you put food on the table. And that's a big difference between doing it for fun and doing it for a job, doing it as a business. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with that more because uh, when I went full time, I was actually part time for three years. Like I would come home from work and get right in the shop and build. And then I'd have dinner, spend some time with the family. Kids would go to bed. I'd go back downstairs in my garage and work for a little bit and then maybe spend some time with the wife after. But I did that for three years. And everyone kept saying, like, why don't you just quit and do it full time? And it is a scary, scary thing to give up a guaranteed paycheck, especially when you have a young family. I mean, hell, even if you don't have a young family, it's just scary to give up a guaranteed paycheck. Now, I was fortunate that my wife was the breadwinner. Like she made a ton of money. And, you know, so I had that to kind of fall back on. But, you know, I didn't grow up with money. So I didn't have that mentality. Uh, so, and I didn't want to rush in and make a stupid mistake. And anytime anybody asked me, I just said, like, listen, like, I, like I'll know when I know. You know, I, I don't know what the answer is, but when and if the time comes, like, I'll know. And honest to God, as cliche as it is, like, that's what happened. I went to bed one night and I said, you know what? I'm ready. Like, tomorrow I'm giving my notice. And that was like, and like, no lie. You're talking like 11 o'clock at night. I just like lay down and then it just like hit me. But is it's really scary when, you know, because if you don't deliver, you don't get paid. If you don't have any orders coming in, well, you don't get paid. So it is a, it, it's a tough thing to all of a sudden say, yep, I'm going to give up something guaranteed and I'm going to go into the unknown. That aha moment where you're on one side of, oh, should I do this? Should I not do this? And then there's just that moment. And after that moment, everything past that is just, you need to have your own furniture business. It's a real thing. Not for everybody. Some people go into it slowly. Some people pace themselves out. But I know, at least from my own personal experience, that I remember that aha moment so incredibly vividly, even though it was many, many years ago, I still remember it. And I think back on it and have that in my back pocket to remember this is why you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can tell you what another thing that made it so hard and anybody who has transitioned can probably relate to this, but when you do it part-time on top of your full-time job, all of a sudden you kind of like the extra money. Like it's like you're getting two paychecks. So then you also battle in your mind. Okay. Yeah. All right. I could go full-time, but Oh geez, now I'm not going to have as much money because now you got used to making your full-time job money, plus that little extra that you were doing each week, whatever it is that you were making. So there's a lot that, you know, that everybody wrestles with. And it's different for everybody because, you know, that's probably the hardest thing when people ask for advice is that everybody's situation is so different. Like where you live is a huge thing. You know, size of your family, you know, you're, you're like, your normal day-to-day -day bills, what's your mortgage, what's your rent, do you have a car payment, all these things like, you know, there's, there's no two things that are alike. This isn't a one glove, uh, you know, fits all type thing. So it's really hard to offer advice to people. Uh, I, honestly, I think the best way to do it is to offer encouragement 
rather than advice only because it is so different across the country for every individual. I completely agree with you. And that's the whole basis of this show that I try and get so many different people from so many different walks of life, from so many different places, starting their companies for so many different reasons, because we're all running in the same furniture business race, but we're all going to different places. We all have different goals. And that is the beauty of the industry, but also the frustration of the industry, because you want to say, here's a blanket statement that works for everybody, follow this, but you can't. Yes, there's good business practices to follow that are good for running a business, but even stuff like that doesn't work for 100% of the people all the time. There's differences and there's nuances. And so that is what people need to know when they're starting a business, that you can see your next door neighbor being successful, but doing an exact replica of that might not lead to the exact same results. And also there are different motivations for people that people don't understand or don't think about. And a perfect example happened to me yesterday. I am a full-time single dad. I have a nine-year-old son and a 14-year-old daughter that I have full-time. So my motivations are different than possibly other families. And I had some scrap wood that I put together real quick, a walnut and maple cutting board, nothing major at all, three pieces of wood, you know, rectangular cutting board. I did a juice groove on the CNC. Again, nothing spectacular, no major pattern. Had it done really quick, threw it up on Facebook. First 65 bucks takes it. I had two comments from mutual woodworkers who are also personal friends on Facebook who were jokingly saying, you know, stop undercutting my pricing or, hey, I'm, I might buy that just to flip it. And, you know, basically inferring that the price is so low. But on my end, you know, my motivations are different. You know, this area might view that price differently than it might view somewhere else. They think that that price is way too low and maybe it is. Let's say, for instance, I could have got 85 bucks or something. You know, let's throw a number out there. But for me, being, you know, a single dad, I'd rather take the 65 bucks in 24 hours than have that sit in my shop for three to four weeks for $20 more. When in the meantime, I could probably get more scraps and bang out, you know, two, three, four more in the same time at the same price and keep that cash coming into me rather than have anything sitting on a shelf anywhere in my shop. That doesn't do me any good. So my motivations are different. For me, I don't ever look at something as undercutting another woodworker to steal business. It's, am I making something off of it? How much time did I put into it? And can I live with that price? And as long as I can live with it, then that's all that matters, you know, for me when I'm trying to you know, pay bills, pay a mortgage, put food on the table and foods through the roof right now. So that goes for every woodworker out there. Everybody has a different goal. Everyone has different driving factors in it. Could I get more for my tables? Maybe, but I'm okay getting what I'm getting. And that's all that really should matter. You said when you were talking about how, when you were getting into the business that people reached out yeah. and people reached out and the projects were a little bit bigger than you felt comfortable handling. 
and you would tell people, I don't have the tools for this. And that's why I can't build it. And maybe you didn't have the physical tools, but you also didn't have the business tools to deal with those projects at that time. You were still so new to the business that you didn't have that that business side. You didn't have enough of those types of resources to be able to build that piece and make an appropriate amount of money off of it for what you needed to make out of it. When you started, you put those two end tables up for $80 and quickly you learned that that was too little to charge for it. With the idea that yes, people in all different parts of the world in all different walks of life need to get something different out of their pieces, out of their pricing. With that idea in mind, let's talk a little bit about your pricing and how your idea of what something should cost has grown from that first Craigslist post to now having run a successful business for many years. Well, I think, um, I don't know if there's a correct answer. I can tell you like in general, because, you know, pricing is something that I've said numerous times on social media. It's not usually something I get into. And the reason why I don't isn't because I don't want to help. And it isn't because I don't want to disclose anything. It's because what works for me, it kind of, you know, it's similar to what we just talked about, what works for me and what I can accept making doesn't hold water for everyone else across the country. You know, I know what it costs. I know what I have to invest in to build a table. Okay. And I know how long it takes me to make it. And one thing is for certain and I think a lot of makers will agree with this, is that we'll never get what we are truly worth. You know, we can't necessarily, a lot of us, I shouldn't say everyone, because again, it's not a one size fits all, but it's very hard for, you know, a single standalone maker to charge an hourly rate of what you're truly worth. Because at that point, you can price yourself out of the market. So I kind of look at it, you know, in totality, like, okay, if it costs me X to make it and, you know, my market in this area dictates that I can sell it for this, this is my profit. Can I live with that? And if I can, then I'm okay with it. I don't get I really, honest to God, it might be a terrible business practice overall, but I don't get into sitting down and doing this mass calculation. I've built them enough to know that this is what it's going to cost me to do it. I have been on Facebook and websites enough to know that in my market, this is the price range that people are willing to pay. So when people ask me questions about it, And when I say like I offer like encouragement, I don't necessarily tell them how to do it. It's, you know, I encourage people to know your area. You know, my area is a lot of young families who may not have, you know, $3,000 to 
by a table that some might be able to charge. So, you know, it's, it's know your area. You know, when I started off, I think the first one I sold, I put it up for 900 bucks. Now I think I made an eight foot table and I got so many orders that it kind of told me that, okay, maybe this is definitely too low. Now, again, you know, no experience. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and then that's where I started to go up. And then that's where I started to do, you know, more research. I think in the beginning I was wide eyed and I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to do it and I'm going to sell a ton. And, you know, this is going to be awesome. And it changes. Like you start learning like, okay, like, all right, maybe this is too low. Like now I got to figure something out because now there's too many coming in. So it, it is, it's, it's about knowing your market, knowing your audience. And that's the best advice I can give to anybody. You know, unfortunately there isn't that, you know, one solid answer. Like this is how you do it. And this is how you get more business. It's, it's being active. It's being personable. Uh, and the one thing I, I always tell people, this might sound like, you know, really, really crazy, uh, but, but it's true. If you're on Facebook and you're trying to get work and you're interacting with people and, you know, trying to build up a name, do not change your profile picture. Whatever your picture is going to be, keep it that way. Because people equate remembering something, being familiar with it, with knowing you. So like that's why in the beginning, my logo was like this bright red logo. And every time like there was a comic pop, like, you know, I commented, I asked a question, I interacted with people. It was this giant red logo that stuck out to everybody. Everybody just knew it was me from that. Everyone like had like their, their family picture or whatever it is. And mine was that. And it just stuck out and people start thinking that, oh, like, here's a guy, like, he's always commenting. I know him. He's always commenting or he's always responding to this. They think that they know you and then they remember that. So it's little things like that to get people to be familiar with you. And that's the best advice I can give. Well, there's definitely a lot of good advice that you just said that gets to the heart of running a furniture business and any business for that matter. There's the idea that you mentioned at the end with branding, with keeping your brand the same so people know who you are. Brand building like that is important throughout every level of business from somebody just starting out to giant companies that have been around for hundreds of years. That's why logos and the idea of a logo is a whole industry in itself. And so branding is very, very important. You also talked about knowing your customer base and knowing your location and knowing what you can charge in that area. And that grows as your business grows. When you started out, that pricing was way too low, but you wouldn't know that until you learned about your area. You learned about the customers in your area and you're talking about a local area, but this also works for people who are selling nationally or internationally. You need to know your area. You need to know your market to be able to properly sell to that market. So with that in mind, as somebody who has a majority of their business locally, how did you start building that 
brand awareness with people around you? Believe it or not, this was actually the easy part. So for me, I'm sure you could tell I'm a talker. I don't shut up. So before I took an order, even to this day, I have a policy that I have to do a meet and greet with the client. I want to like who I'm building for, feel like I can make them happy. And I want them to hear it from me and see me in person and see that I'm personable. I'm genuine. I love what I do. I care about my work. I tell everyone I'd rather you be mad that I was late, but you got my best work. And I always felt that I could sell myself on a personal level and my work would do the rest of the talking for me. So that was, that was always my thing. When it comes time for a client to pick colors, I go to them. Now, they might be an hour away from me. I will still drive to them. I will have color blocks of the actual wood. I have them stained. I even have them clear coated so it keeps the color vibrant. And so that they can pick the color and have a true representation. So they're not trying to pick it off a picture because pictures never translate to real life. They're not picking it off like a, like a, a chart, like a piece of paper. So it's little things like that that sell you because then people like start talking like, oh, you're having a table for me? Yeah, he, he actually like he showed up at the house. He did all the measuring. He, he told us things that we didn't even think about when we're thinking about the size of it and the size of the chairs to get. And it's little things like that. So when people start talking, they hear things like that. It's a little bit different than the, oh yeah, I ordered it on Wayfair or I ordered it on Pottery Barn. It's a different story that they will tell to their friends. It's a more interesting story. So I don't take internet orders. You know, I have to, and during COVID, my meetings were a Zoom. I still required the meet and greet. Like it's something I've always stuck by. And, and this isn't to like uh, offend any one person, but sometimes you can leave a meeting and just not have the vibe that, you know, like, I don't know if I can make them happy. Like they, 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 they seem like they're looking for something that I can't deliver. If I get that feeling that they're expecting something I can't deliver, you know, I respectfully decline. Now it's hard to do that. It's hard to turn down an order, but the last thing I want to do because I take my work so personal is put, you know, 40, 50 hours into building something in them, not loving it, you know, like I, I need that reaction. I need to see that they love it because then it makes it all worthwhile. So yeah, those are like, those are little things that I, I do even to this day to try to set myself apart and to build a name locally as somebody who, you know, like shows up. Like how many times have you heard from people like saying, Oh, like I've, I've called this, you know, this company like a million times and they don't call me back. You know, that happens like a lot. So not only do I call back or do I reply back, I show up, you know, at the door, I got my backpack full of colors, you know, my tape measure and my notebook. And I go over everything. I go over uh, wood movement, what to expect with real wood, 
how I attach it to allow that to happen, all different things, how the breadboards move. Like I make sure that they know everything up front before they order from me. And that's, you know, I think that's something that whatever business you're in, you know, sometimes that service nowadays is lacking. Uh, so I try to bring that back locally. Good customer service. That's an important part of running a business. But there's also that side where, and I'm not saying good or bad, just having a conversation about business. There's that side where you can take it too far. You can go too far into the personal side when you're working with clients, yeah. whether it takes up too much time dealing with the personal side of a client and eats into your bottom line, or you end up going from a business transaction to something more. And if things go sideways in the project, then it's a lot harder to deal with that. I've made, I've, I've made that mistake. It has happened to me. Um, it even happens uh, recently. I, I think, honestly, the, the most common thing that can happen when something like that happens, believe it or not, and I'm guilty of it, is you almost take them for granted. So like if something's delayed, like I was, I lapsed in my communication to them uh, because you lose sight of the fact that they're the business client. You know, you, you've talked with them so much or joked or laughed. Um, they've moved into that like acquaintance and friend territory uh, and they've moved away from the business territory. So I, I agree that is a that is a slope that you can easily fall down, uh, especially when it's just you, you know, being a single person operator. That's a very, very easy thing. Not, not even hard. Thing. It's a very easy thing to fall into. You think you're developing these, you know, relationships and you get caught up in it. And it is, it's hard. Uh, and I am 100% like guilty of having it happen, allowing it to happen. Honestly, it's, it's, it's part of the, of the growing pains and just overall learning curve. Like you're going to make mistakes and it is hard to admit it. It's hard to own up to it. Uh, but you know, we're, we've, we've all done it and there's no shame in admitting it. You just got to learn from it uh, the same way you would learn from pricing. You know, you, you, you have to accept mistakes, accept that you're going to make them, uh, accept that you're going to make a lot of them. And you might even repeat a couple, but you will learn. And as long as you learn from it for the next one or try to, then, you know, you'll be fine. Then you're doing the right thing. Thinking about this episode and everything we've talked about so far, I feel like the main takeaway is the idea of business for you. The idea of your business is a very personal one. You're not setting a line between your personal and your business life. You are blending them. And with that comes issues like you've gone into with crossing a line between a client and a personal relationship. There's bad things that can happen and tough things that can happen with that. But there's also the flip side of that 
And there's good things. Clients can feel more attached to you. They can feel like this isn't just a business transaction. This is an actual person on the other end making something specific for me and they can appreciate things more. So there is both sides to that. And there's both ways that somebody can run a business or somewhere in the middle. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, if you work for yourself, I don't think that you ever escape the personal nature of it, especially as a maker. You're personally invested in everything that you make. You care about it. You care about how it looks. If you don't care how it looks, then you're in the wrong profession. You know, that's our job. Like, you know, you, you want to make it look the best that it can be. You know, you, you know that when it goes out the door, it has your name on it. It represents who you are. So, yeah, everything's personal, especially like when you mix, because when you work for yourself, your hours aren't nine to five. Your hours are whenever. You know, like, for instance, we're doing an interview now. Well, I'm going to have to make up that time today. So will I make it up, you know, from like eight o'clock to 10 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock to midnight, like whenever it is, I'll make it up. The weekend will come up. Some people will go away. You know, I'll probably do a couple cookouts, but maybe before I go somewhere, I'm spraying a clear coat on some items or painting a couple items or gluing up some stuff. And then maybe the next day I'm cutting it to size. You know, like there's always a little something that you are always doing while the normal nine to five people just have the day off and don't want to have anything to do with work. So you can't help but have a personal connection to your work when you're a maker of any kind and it's hard to escape especially if you do it full time but on the flip side i i like that like and and i respect the others who share that same view because it shows you care this is at its heart a show about business about the furniture business and how people run their business to become successful. That is what I'm always trying to get across. I always want to be able to help people on the business side. But there are times when the personal side is as much a part of your business as the actual business side of the business. And there's times when that crosses over and becomes one and the same. Yep. You have been very outspoken in this interview and in general, if anyone talks to you about the personal, when you have those times that aren't good and when things go sideways, when things are hard and a client's giving you issues when you're so personally invested in the business 
And it's hard to separate yourself because there is no separation. You and the business are one and the same. How do you, how are you able to take a step back or do you take a step back and view it as a business or is it all personal to you? Uh, Honestly, for me, it's all personal. And I like it that way because the personal aspect, not only does it help drive me, it helps keep it fun. You know, part of the business is social media. And I like to try to keep it fun by keeping it personal with everybody and laughing and replying and whatnot. Um, uh, you know, I got divorced, you know, four years ago. My girlfriend uh, now helps kind of keep things in perspective for me, uh, balance things out. It'll be like little things, right? So I'll be so stressed in trying to balance the quote unquote personal and the business. And I'll come home from a delivery or I'll come home from like getting supplies and my shop will be cleaned. Like she will have swept and vacuumed the entire thing. And there's a different morale boost when all of a sudden the shop is clean and you get back to work in a clean shop. So it's little things like that. Or um, everybody knows I make, you know, hundreds of those uh, clocks. Sometimes her and I will like sit down, but like, okay, for the week, like if she sees it, like I'm stressed out, she'll be like, okay, like, wh- like, what do you need to get done? What, what kind of bails you out this week? And it'd be like, okay, well, I need to make five clocks. And she'll say to me, like, what are the colors? So like, we'll sit down and write them out and I'll like, I'll either come home or she'll go downstairs. And next thing you know, I've got five clock blanks that are painted or stained in the colors that I need before I can carve them. So it's nice to have somebody in your corner that can, when I say like little things, that isn't like cliche, like those little things like that, that boost your morale. Cause you know what gets you out of a funk quicker than anything? It's being productive because you might feel overwhelmed and you can't separate you know, the personal aspect of it, and which is fine. It's hard to do. But at the end of the week, if I get those five out, I get the table I, I do, and you see things checking off your list, you're like, all right, I got this. You know, I do one more week of this, back, I'm, I'm back at square one. I'm good. So sometimes it's hard not to look at everything in totality. Um, but nothing cures it better than being productive. And when you have someone who can do a little extra something, and again, and that's still on the personal level, you know, like that's our time together, but our time together turned into work stuff to help alleviate my stress. And, you know, it's good to have that. And that's like, that's a really good way to help um, I, you'll never, ever, ever get rid of the, if, if, if you're personally invested and you feel that, I don't think you ever get rid of it. So figure out ways to embrace it and make it work. And having that, you'll be laugh, talk, joke in the shop together. And 
that almost becomes a little bit of personal time. It's not our, obviously it's not our only, but it becomes like a little bit, all of a sudden it doesn't become work. You kind of forget that you're working. And when you're having fun like that, you know, you're really not working, but you're being productive. And sometimes like that's, that's the best cure. Having somebody to, to help you build things or to help you make things when you're having a rough week is obviously important. That's what having employees or people who work for you, that's what that is. It's, it's help that you need, but taking it a step further that you also mentioned, it's having a support system. It's having somebody there that you can depend on. Yes. On the building side. Yes. On the making side, but also on the other side, on the the personal side. And for you, because the personal side is so involved in your business, like we keep talking about, it's the way that helps you continue to run your business. You've talked about a lot of things that people who are listening can take away on this episode. But I'm going to ask you, once more, I'm going to ask you for people who want to start a furniture company, but they never were able to get there until they found furniture. And now they're thinking, this is what I want to do. I want to build my own furniture company. And then for people who have already done that, who have already gone out on their own and built their own furniture company, but they don't feel like it's getting them to where they want to be. They feel stagnant. They don't feel like they are reaching the potential that they should. For people listening, what's some advice that you could share from your own experience that you take to heart every day when you wake up and start working that you could share? Yeah. So a few things, actually. So I always live by the model And I tell everybody this, I don't care what you build and I don't necessarily care how you build it. And when I say that, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people look down at people if they use pocket holes for everything. And I think there's certain joinery that has its place and at at times and at times it doesn't. But I tell people, I don't care really how you build it or what you make it out of. Build it to the best of your ability. Because I always firmly believe that your work will do more talking than you can. I also believe in this um, saying, Steve Jobs said it a long time ago uh, when he came out with the iPhone. And he said, People don't know what they want until they see it. Now, this is actually something that I am struggling with at the moment. And that is, I'm so busy and I'm so backed up with current stuff. I haven't had the opportunity to make prototypes of something new, something cool, something different, ideas that I have. And I don't have the time to make it that could probably take my business to the next level because I don't have the time. 
and I wrestle with, you know, hiring someone, but then the cost that that entails that could change my business as well. So I think it's important to, for each individual to decide what they want their goals to be or what they want their next goals to be. So if you're at point X and you want to get to your, your next level, like, all right, I, I'm here. Now my next step is to get here. Okay. So what is that step? Is it to make more money? Is it to get more orders? Is it to come up with something different? Like you have to know your goal. And, you know, unfortunately, money dictates a lot of it. So what do you have to do to get to that goal? What do you have to invest? Is it, you know, will your overhead costs go up? You know, does it mean moving into a new shop? If it does, what do you think will that do to the added cost for future orders? So I, I, would, I would stick by that your work does so much of the talking. And that goes back to like your work speaking for itself. Like don't settle. If you don't like how it looks, then fix it. Because I'm telling you, you will be so much happier with how it looks if it's what you envision. And then your client's going to be happier. And then they're going to be more up to buy something else from you. So care about your work and show it. And I think that that will go a long way for anybody uh, growing their business. Caring about your work, caring about your customers, and keeping a balance between your business and your personal life, even if that balance is heavily weighted to your personal side. I hear everything you're saying, and I appreciate you taking the time to share your story and the knowledge that you've learned about the industry and about yourself and how you fit into this furniture industry. Thank you so much for your time. I truly appreciate it. And I wish you nothing but continued success moving forward. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot. It was a blast. I love being on it. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at thebuildwithethan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.